This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 225, with guest Christina Dunbar. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad and grateful that you are here. Thank you so much for showing up. And we have a repeat guest today. Christina Dunbar is back again on the podcast. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her in just a second here. Real quick announcement about the Daring Way retreat, or should I say retreats at this point? As I've been mentioning, I am rolling these out. I'm very excited. It is long overdue that I do these retreats. And for those of you who don't know, the Daring Way is a methodology based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown, and I am certified in her work. What it's about, in a nutshell, you know, easy peasy topics like courage, connection, authenticity, shame, no big deal. Obviously, really big topics that we talk about here on the podcast all the time. I love this work. I've been doing it for years privately with clients, and now I'm rolling it out in retreats. So the first one sold out, that retreat is in August. I decided to roll out another one, and that one is almost sold out as well. And I might even do a third this year in 2018. Not totally for sure yet, but if you want in on one of these retreats, definitely go over to yourkickasslife.com slash daring-retreat to read all about it and maybe put down a deposit for the next retreat that I have. And of course, that link is in the show notes. I wanted to tell you a quick story that I hadn't exactly planned on telling, but I think I am going to do my own work and push myself out of my comfort zone. <laughs> For those of you that caught my daily diaries, uh, a few months ago, I did daily podcast episodes where I talked about what was going on for me, both logistically and internally and emotionally. So I was, I went on a book tour. My second book came out January 2nd of this year, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. And I went on a book tour and many adventures came about. And a lot of it had to do with my own upper limit stuff and doing the work and getting out of my own way, stepping out of my comfort zone. Again, all things that I talk about here on the podcast. Here's one thing that happened that I didn't, again, didn't anticipate telling the story, but my birthday just passed and I figure I need to do something. I don't need to, but I kind of wanted to do something to push myself a little bit. And along with upper limit stuff, and for those of you that don't know what upper limit stuff is, it's sort of like when you are, you have kind of a threshold or set limit to how much success you can have, uh, how much happiness you can have before you kind of start to freak out. So I was working on my own upper limit stuff. And one of those things was success and the success of this book. 
So I was talking to the women in my my peer mastermind and one of them, okay, so here's the kind of funny thing. How this started was it wasn't even someone telling me something. That's why one of the many reasons I love peer masterminds so much. And you don't don't have to be in like a you don't have to be an entrepreneur or any in any kind of specific mastermind. These can be just personal development groups that you're in. And a lot of times you get help by two other people having a conversation, right? So two of the women were having a conversation and one of them said to the other one, why don't you get out of the way in order to allow this thing to be as big as it needs to be? And I was like, holy shit, what if I did that with my book? What if I allowed this baby to be as big as she needs to be. And here's a couple of important parts. I didn't know what that looked like as in terms of like this whole, like be as big as it needed to be for a lot of authors, sort of like the arrival or the kind of pinnacle of success is to be on the New York times bestseller list. And I've had resistance to that. And I wasn't sure why, I mean, it's kind of obvious. Maybe I'm like, oh my God, if you hit the New York Times bestseller list, it's kind of a big deal. And being a big deal is scary. Again, I, I was like, you know, trying to psychoanalyze myself and I finally just like surrendered. And I just thought, okay, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to do my best to allow this thing to be as big as it needs to be and surrender to what that looks like. I had no idea what it would look like. And if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know I kind of have some issues with surrender. Got the word tattooed on my arm in order to remind me. So that's what I did. And I also voiced to the women in my mastermind, like that hit me really hard. I am going to work on that. And truth be told, I wasn't even 100% sure what that actually meant, like work on it. But I just kept repeating it to myself, like get out of the way, allow this to be as big as it needs to be. Allow the energy of this project, this book to go as far and wide as it needs to go. So that's what I sort of ran with. And this was all leading up to it coming out, like I hadn't even come out with. So this was like late 2017. So then my book came out January 2nd. As I'm recording this, it's been about just over three months that my book has come out. And again, I've shared this only with the women in my mastermind and the people that are closest to me, my closest friends and family. As I'm recording this, we now have 13 foreign deals. So that means that my book has been translated into 13 different languages and it's only been out for like three months. So this was, okay, so by the, when the fourth one came in, so the way it works is like, I have my literary agent and then he has a foreign rights agent. So basically it's this other person who's doing the deals with these foreign publishers. And the fourth or fifth email came in, her name is Taryn. And, you know, it's like my literary agent has copied on it and I'm copied on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is like the fourth or fifth one. So I emailed back my literary agent and I'm like, is this normal? Like, because my, my first contract was different. They kept the foreign rights. So anyway, whole nother conversation about how that works, but these deals kept coming through and I'm, I'm over here, like hands up emoji, like what? And all I know is that I'm getting paid more money and the book is being translated into another language and it's all very exciting and feels very grown up and legit. So I asked Steve, my agent, I'm like, is this normal? 
like <laughs> to have this many foreign deals in such a short amount of time. And, and by the fourth or fifth one, it had only been like a couple of weeks that the book had come out. And he said, not really, unless you're a previous New York Times bestselling author <laughs> in self-help, you might see this many deals, but this is sort of unusual to have, I forget where we were at at that point, like four or five or six. And the, they just kept coming. And so right now it's going to be translated over in China, Korea, Lithuania, Greece, Turkey, Russia, Brazil, Poland, Thailand, Portugal, Italy, the Netherlands, Vietnam, and also we have publications in Australia and the UK, which obviously are in English, but they are foreign deals. And also it's been translated to Spanish. And I guess I got what I asked for. I guess that me working on letting go and being, I mean, because I guess it doesn't get any bigger than that, right? Like getting it out there all over the world. So my baby, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, is traveling, I suppose, as far as possible on this earth. There are obviously other countries that it hasn't been translated into, but it doesn't mean that it's over. We just got the last deal. I think Vietnam was the last one um, maybe three days ago as, I, you know, as I'm recording this. So crazy. And it's uncomfortable for me to talk about it because, you know, my own inner critic says, Oh, don't brag about it. Nobody wants to hear about that. Like, <laughs> shh. And as I've mentioned here on the podcast before, I still struggle with shining too bright and and things like that. I saw a quote on Instagram or something like some, one of those social media platforms that said, shine as bright as you want. The sun doesn't give a shit how bright it burns or something. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh so much, but it's true. So for all of you out there, celebrate your successes. I tell you guys that all the time. So please celebrate your successes. And may I be an example of that. I am over here celebrating the shit out of all of the foreign rights deals and the translations and that this book is being translated into all those different languages for all of those people to be able to hear it and read it. Oh, another thing that happened. I actually think it's more than 13. I think it's 14 plus the UK and Australia. I don't know. I lost count. But my agent uh, emailed me and said, basically just a really nice email saying that, ugh, it makes me so uncomfortable to say this, just saying, um, you know, you are true self-help talent. And because I had told him about my own inner critic saying like my first book was a fluke. And that the other publisher just really liked my brand and <laughs> and he had a good laugh about that. And I say all this to just be really real about it and that I too, you know, every time something is up-leveled, I have to a lot of times like start doing the work again and telling on myself and owning where my own inner critic is like going nuts and where my own imposter syndrome goes a little crazy and and things like that. So there you have it. That was a story in my own discomfort. And yeah. Okay. I think that's it. All right. So today's guest, repeat guest, Christina Dunbar is here. I'm so excited. And here's one of the main reasons I love Christina and I'm so happy to bring her back on the podcast. She is 
she just oozes creativity. And I love that she has dedicated her life into healing from that place and using creativity to own so many things that our culture deems as unacceptable and, you know, unfeminine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would love for you to go and check her out over at christinadunbar.com and of course, check out this episode. So let me tell you a little more about her. Christina Dunbar is a performing artist, poet, producer, and mentor to creative women. She is the playwright and star of Dirty Me Divine, a one-woman show about sexuality and soul, directed by her husband, Chaim Dunbar. Christina is also creator of She Takes the Stage, where women find their voice through writing and performing personal stories for the stage and performing them live. As a mentor, Christina works with artists and creatives in developing their projects, solo shows, and creative ideas, and making them real. So without further ado, here is Christina. Christina, welcome back. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm I'm happy to have you. I just knew, you know, when I saw you in January, and of course I follow you closely on social media, and I just knew that that first conversation that we had before was, was not enough, but I had to have you back. And I am pumped to ask you about these topics that... I am personally curious about for my own growth <laughs> and and just I just love you as a human. So I am just going to to jump in as I like to throw people in the deep end right away. <laughs> and so you and if anyone remembers, I know it was like a long time ago that you were on, mm-hmm. but you talk a lot about owning and trusting our sexual energy. And can you tell us how to do this and maybe even start with why this is a must. Why is this so important to own and trust our sexual energy as women? Yeah. Well, first of all, sexual energy, that in itself, I think is such a heavy loaded topic. Yeah. What does that <laughs> like mean? Right what does away, that look like? Right. Like, I feel like right away we think of shame or bad or yucky or dirty or too much. Uh, to me, sexual energy is so much more than sex. It is about being a turned on, lit up magnetic, attractive woman Mm -hmm. that owns that and honors that and carries that out into the world so that she can attract people and experiences and be visible and confident in her body and her voice and all of that juiciness, right? That, that we, when we see a woman like that, we're like, Oh, I like that. I want that. Some people like probably can't put their finger on it, but it's just an energy, I guess. I think it is feeling beautiful, feeling confident, feeling tall, feeling, yeah, feeling sexy, feeling like you are again, attractive and magnetic, I think are the two words that come up for me when I think of, of sexual energy. Um, it's a turn on it's creative energy. It is, gosh, I, I, for me, I think because I come from the background of, as you know, stripping and using that energy in a certain way where I was really just turn myself on and be able to use my eyes and flirt and call people in through, through sort of dancing with that energy. It, it, it became part of me, Mm -hmm. I think from, from that, from that really horrible, hard time in my life where I was like, Oh, I feel dirty about this, but I also, I like it. (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. a part of me that loves this. And I think a lot of women want it. A lot of women want to use that and carry it into the world, but then Again, there are all these layers of, is this bad? Is this dirty? What if I get hurt? 
it's using loaded. this kind of energy. It's mm-hmm. so loaded. So I'm like, where do we even start? Right. <laughs> That's sort of what I was thinking too. Okay. <laughs> Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly, and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earnin. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. So let's back up because I think a lot of people listening are probably like, yes, I want that. And I admire, maybe they admire women who are like that, but where does someone even start? And I know you also, you talk about something you call the wounded female artist. So mm-hmm. can you talk about that and, and what that actually, again, looks like? Because I'm I'm over here making up like it's not about, the, I don't think it's that you're saying that every woman should drop what she's doing and become an artist. Is it something else? Well, artist is such a, again, another loaded word. I think of an artist as someone who is willing to express the song in their soul Mm, and willing being the key word, because we all have a unique way of expressing things and we have creativity inside of, inside of us and we have expression inside of us, but we don't necessarily want to put that out into the world because we might be rejected. We might be too weird. We might be too much. And the wounded female artist is... And this is really specific, I think, to I want to talk a little bit about living in California and in the Hollywood bubble. Um, but let me back up. The wounded female artist is someone who has, 
as Brene Brown puts it, art scars. Mm -hmm. Someone who has been scarred because they have expressed a part of themselves, a part of their artist and have been shunned or shamed and carried that with them. And sometimes that happens really early on in life. Like I remember for me, uh, I remember I was doing a, we had to do a play. I think it was Shakespeare. I was pretty young. I think I was in like sixth grade and I stuttered and I got made fun of so bad. Mm. And I remember from that day on, I was like, oh, it's not safe to use my voice. Yeah. I'm going to get rejected and take that into adulthood and carry that with me. And that was one of my art scars. I have many. <laughs> I won't well, go I through think all I'm, I, Just real quick. I know that I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert that talks about this, that it's some great statistic, like 70% of people have some kind of, they can tell you some story that usually stems from when they were children of being shamed about art. And that's why so many people apologize. And like, how many times have we heard like, okay, I'm not good at drawing. I'm a terrible artist, but you know, they have to draw something. I hear it all the time in creative projects. I know. It's so horrible. I'm like, I want to call bullshit. I feel like so many of us are born with this creative energy. And then specifically working again with women more in the sort of California bubble. But I think this applies to a lot of different women. If you think back to um, ways that you might have been shamed when expressing yourself, it, it comes up the story of men, men have hurt me in some way when I expressed myself. Um, I've either been assaulted or shamed or ma manipulated or men in power have made me feel like I'm not enough. And so that's also something that I see a lot of in the women that I, I work with. And I think it bears mentioning because I think that I know for me personally, that has happened a lot too, where I feel like I have been shamed or shunned by some kind of man in power. Um, when I'm expressing a part of myself. So and maybe that, maybe that's your truth, right? It's not necessarily showing somebody your art. Exactly. It could be just self-expressing and using your voice. For me personally, it did come up in a lot of different artistic ways. I remember I was, uh, I was in acting class. I just started my acting class and I took a private lesson with one of my teachers. This is in my one woman show. And I was at his house and I was so fresh and so young. And I remember sitting on his couch and he just stuck his tongue down my throat in the middle of the scene. And what? I'm like, uh, yeah, gross, right? God. So disgusting. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but I'm not the only one. Because the more and more I talk to other women, there are stories like this. Again, it's not just for an artist. I can imagine that there are women that have been in corporate and the whole Me Too movement. Women are speaking up and using their voice and maybe feeling like they are not only being shamed, but assaulted or manipulated in some way. So I think it's it's kind of a a mixture of when I say the wounded artist, I feel like I want to say the wounded female voice. Yeah. Right? Like we use our voice and our expression. How many times have we been shot down in some way? And especially because there are so many men in power that we look up to. I know for me, I would just look up to certain men uh, living in the Hollywood world. And I would be like, oh, I want to impress them. I want to be the good girl. I want to do the right thing. Then I would have to get into experience where I was actually hurt in some way by these men. Hearing you tell that story about that guy that, oh my gosh, yes, I've personally, me too. I've been sexually harassed and, and just not been taken seriously, et cetera, et cetera, by men. But to be honest with you, Christina, there have been times 
that I can think of, I would say equally so, but the ones that stand out to me the most, and maybe it's because I just expected of men, but the, the ones that I think stand out to me the most are when I have been shut down by women. Hmm. And I can think of two occasions, and maybe this is why I ended up working for myself. I can think of two occasions where I was reprimanded and shamed by a woman who was my superior. One in particular, I worked for a company, I was an assistant buyer, and it was like, the way I describe it, it's like the devil wears Prada, but for the surf industry, it was this chain of, of surf shops on the, on the West coast. And I was very young. I was 23 maybe. Mm-hmm. And this woman was, and she was the VP of the company. She was married to the owner and she was so awful to me. And she told me that it was kind of like for, for my own good. And I see so much potential in you and you could have my job one day and did it and would like basically spank me in her office, just like awful to me. And I remember sitting in her office crying one day and thinking to myself, if nothing else, I was young too. And I remember thinking, if nothing else good, nothing good comes out of this, at least I know how to not treat people. Hmm. And, and I just remember just being completely shut down and, and being so afraid to say my truth. And of course, at the time, I didn't know how to do it in a healthy way. But regardless, I what, and I, I tell that story because I think that there's also women out there listening who have been shut down, whether it's their truth or with their art, by both genders. And I almost feel like when it comes from women, it's like a different kind of hurt. I'm not going to say it hurts worse, but it's like, wait a minute, you're supposed to be on my team. You're my <laughs> sister. You're right? my sister. What's happening? Ugh, That's horrible. Oh, I know. I want to like reach through the phone and hug you because it, do- it does have a different kind of sting. And isn't that awful? We feel like we expect some of this from men. It probably, has to, yeah, it probably has to do with the mother wound yeah. and things like that. Totally. And, yeah. yeah. But it's also a sign of how we are sort of all brainwashed by patriarchy mm-hmm. absolutely, in a way, and have been taught to, 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 to compete and to shut somebody else down if they're shining. I, yeah, I can see how that would be part of the, the whole women thing as well. Like in women as well, it's, it's ingrained in us. It's something to dismantle and talk about. And I'm glad you shared that story, even though it's horrible, but yeah, women have come up against this as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you, and I'm kind of jumping ahead because I have, I have of course a set of um, things that I want to ask you, but I feel like it's intuitively, I want to go down this path now around shame, because I know that you help women and, and, and please clarify for me, cause I may be getting this wrong. Like, do, do you help women heal their shame through art? Yes. Well, through storytelling mainly uh, okay. and also through creative expression, right? Because some of the women that, yeah, art, some of the women that are in my circles now, I used to do it mostly through storytelling, but now I have singers and poets and comedians. So using their voice somehow to express themselves and hopefully heal past wounds and stories, which is so powerful to be witnessed in that and to work through stuff in, in a creative space. Cause then you just get to turn off the left brain and deal with things that might be in your subconscious that you might not normally deal with in your day-to-day life. Yeah. I love that. And I want to share a quick anecdote about that. And because as people know that have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know, I started this, my own healing journey, probably 11 or so years ago. And it's, it's looked different. And I, like, I think most of my listeners, I like to stay in my head. <laughs> it's safer there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> think my way through it. And also what I've kind of the only thing that was presented to me, and maybe I just was a little bit narrow-minded about it. Like I thought the way to healing was things like talk therapy and, you know, telling my story, which I do, I do think that those are, those are great modalities of, of healing. But 
what was surprising to me, surprising and not surprising, is, you know, just what you were talking about, the healing modality of of art. And I, I incorporate it with the work that I do with women, but I hadn't really experienced it until I started writing because I don't, I don't sing very well. I don't think, you know, here I go apologizing for myself. <laughs> I'm not Stop much that. of an actress, <laughs> but I can write I'm a writer and I write poetry. And for anybody who's listening to, who's been listening Mm -hmm. for a while, I think it was episode 213. I've read a couple of poems on the air. And episode 213 was when I read My Resignation. And it was a poem I read to you. You were one of the first people to hear it when I was in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, here's what was interesting about that is that A, and I've corresponded with you about this before. It was so different for me to read because I can write on a page and leave it there and never have the words come out of my mouth, which I know a lot of people listening, they love to journal. And I think that's amazing. But when you make this, just the tiny shift of reading it out loud, that was a totally different experience. And for me to read it out loud and, and make it as a poem to have it be like a spoken word poem and perform it was again, another step out of my comfort zone. Mm. So what happened, I don't think you know this, Christina, what happened was I read the poem on my podcast. And of course I recorded it alone in my office. And the first time that I read it, I stopped and burst into tears and I was not expecting that. I just was like, I'm going to read it. I'm probably going to be nervous when I do it, but I was not expecting to cry. Mm. And I did have to actually go back and re-record because of the, the audio quality, something had happened to it. But it was, that was interesting to me. So I'm sure that that is not the first time you've heard that working with women, you know, healing their art. Yes. Oh my, first of all, I'm so proud of you. I'm over here like, yay, clapping. <laughs> <Fist pump. laughs> it's such a big deal, not only for you, but for others listening to use our voice and sound. I mean, if you think about sound, it's so old. It's like the oldest way of healing mm. to, to make sound. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's got a resonance to it. It's medicine. It's medicine for our soul. But we're so afraid of it. We're so afraid to use our voice. Like I can totally relate to, I'll just be the girl that writes the thing and then hides it and puts it away Mm -hmm. and never looks at it because I I used to hate the sound of my voice. I hated it. And again, art scars. I, you know, I stuttered when I was younger. I I could still stutter. I still have sort of a higher pitched voice and, uh, have all of these things around my voice, but I've learned to, to use it anyway. And to be like, fuck that. You know what? I sometimes I'll just name it. Hey guys, my voice might be a little high pitched today, but that's okay. I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's so much power and not only using our voice, but then the second piece, which you're talking about is being witnessed, Yeah, like doing it visibly and, and being seen and being heard. And I find that with the women that I work with, there's such a there's such a transformation in that piece where we are brave enough to be like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. I am sharing the most tender, vulnerable parts of myself with you. And this is me. I used to go to bed at night wondering if I'd ever be able to do that. And I would cry thinking that I couldn't. I would not want to die. This was my thought process when I was younger. I was like, I don't want to die with my song still inside of me. Mm-hmm. And my my brain would know that I am good enough in some ways to be visible and to be heard, but I, my heart was so scared. Yeah. 
<sighs> I hear that yeah. all the time that women, even like when it comes to topics like worthiness, which is, this is, you know, indirectly related to what you were just talking about. It's, it's, they say things like, I know on like a, like a conscious cognitive level that of course I'm worthy of love and belonging, you know? And, but it's like this deep thing inside me, or I get triggered and something happens and I tumble backwards. I sort of feel like that's just part of the human experience. I I don't know. Do you? Totally. Are you kidding? Yes, yes, yes. And I would say it's almost what you were talking about. You like to think things through. We almost need to, in our healing, this is my opinion, put that part aside, the logical part, the intellectual part that knows we're good enough and let ourselves be messy and crappy. And just if we can allow more of that as adults, like when we're kids, we're like, yeah, I'll be silly. I'll be weird. I'll do this. I'll try this. I'll fall. I'll fail. Mm -hmm. If we could allow more of that into our world and not try to get it perfect or right the first time in using our voice and expressing ourselves, we might stutter. We might falter. We might not say the right thing. We might not get it right the first time. We might, we might not be perfect. And the more we allow that and I always say, allow ourselves to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. I think so many of us want to just feel powerful and confident. We don't want to feel nerves. We don't want to feel anxiety. We don't want to feel vulnerable. We're constantly trying to contain all this powerful energy inside of us. Um, because we've been, we've been taught to sort of be walking zombies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Campbell talks about the wasteland where we're sort of just walking around with this glaze, look in our eyes, doing the right thing, but not necessarily feeling deeply. So we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, with feeling the stuff. For me, that was a turning point when I was able to start to like raise my hand and go on stage at an event and talk first and do those little steps to be seen and just turn my mind off, like literally say a mantra of, I'm going to turn off the perfectionist. I'm not going to plan this. I'm going to feel the jitters and just kind of be in that. I love (laughs) that you say that that to yourself. Yeah. 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 And that was when things started to shift because then I was also free. You know, the more we turn off that mind when we're speaking, when we're expressing, when we're making art, the the left logical planning strategy mind, the more we turn that off, we're free to connect with creative inspiration and inspiration, right? That means to be in spirit. So then you're being led by spirit. So then things start to flow. That's an exciting that's an exciting place to be in as whatever, as an artist, as a speaker, as someone who is using your voice, when you're just in flow, you feel the creative impulse, you, you feel the hunch to say something or to share something. And you're just being guided by something deeper and bigger. And you have to get past that little hump of the, okay, feel the nerves. I feel the anxiety. I don't know what I'm going to say. Let me just be in this, allow this and see what comes through. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. 
I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term time partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. What if in 2024 you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yes, to all that. And it's so funny because right when you said it's an exciting place to be, my thought that was about to come out of my mouth was that is such a scary place to be. <laughs> Let me explain. Because, right. Yes. Because yes. 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 And I, in my experience, because I was kind of chuckling to myself when you were saying like, turn off the left part of your brain that, that likes to, you know, plan and, and everything. And that's for me. And I think that this is probably for a lot of my listeners. I am good at that. Like that part of my brain, I'm sure if someone did an MRI, like that is like lit up, always working, you know, that muscle is in shape and that's my comfort zone right there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, cause I, I want to plan out all the times I'm going to write poetry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the right I get paper, it. That. But then actually <laughs> what I have learned and have started to exercise is if it's, if it's convenient, which it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. If I'm feeling a moment of inspiration, if something, something triggers me or something inspires me and I can sit down and write about it, I do it. I even, I think it was maybe a week or two ago, saw something on Instagram that made me think about something. And I sat down and wrote a poem that I felt was pretty good. And it only took me like 15 or 20 minutes. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting better at this. You know, I'm, I'm getting more and more comfortable with it. And mm. I, I feel like we kind of have these levels. It's almost like a target, you know, it's like in the middle is our super comfort zone. And then there's another layer that's like, okay, I can, I can do this art thing for healing or whatever. Maybe for some people that's journaling or something like that, painting. And then on the next layer is the sharing it with other people. And that part is, I think, still the muscle that is (laughs) not very strong in me and getting there. But I want to say all that because I love, I want people to pull this tool out 
And that you said that you tell yourself a mantra and you say, I'm going to turn off the perfectionist part of my brain. What, what is, what is something else that people can do as they're starting to like flex that <laughs> muscle of the healing of, of your inner artist? Yeah. I'm literally going to not think it's, it's, I know this is so weird. Okay. Just, just kind of hang with me here because I am so the perfectionist as well, especially when it comes to using my voice, especially because I've been shamed. So I want to get it right. I don't want to ever, I don't ever want to be rejected again. Right. So of course I want to turn on the perfectionist mind and get it right and be like, Mm ta-da applause, please. But when I started practicing the, just don't think I mean, yeah, it's terrifying. I'm not going to lie. It's terrifying. You can call it exciting. I just put a different label on it. I think that that's a brain shift, a perspective shift that helps me. Like I'm excited versus terrified because mm-hmm. it kind of feels the same. Like you're on this roller coaster ride in your body. I have, I had a client <laughs> that called it scared sighted. Oh, I love that. That's what it is. Yes. And you can ride the wave. Here's another tool because you can either be in what I call the scared child mode where you're like in freeze mode and you contract and you let that energy overpower you, or you can, and this is a skill you, you, you have to practice using this muscle. You can take that energy and sort of rip it into your voice, put it into your body and you become the leader versus it leading you. It's Mm -hmm. still inside of you, but again, this is, I know it takes a little bit of skill and practice. Um, so yeah, I say not thinking. I also love to do, this is more practical stuff. I love to do a warm up. Like the warmer my body is, if I'm cold, I can't just go on stage cold or I don't want to. I prefer to do, and this comes from, I guess my performance training training as well. I like to do a 45 minute warm up where I use my body. I, even if I have to stretch and do jumping jacks and run and do, and even if you can only do like five minutes of that, that's also I think a great way to just stop, get the blood flowing, stop using your brain, yeah. get into your body. Um, of course, breathing, another practical tool. We forget to breathe when we get into that anxious space. We, our breath gets really shallow. We don't want to breathe because if we breathe, we start feeling more. So we're trying to run away from the feeling and get into our head and get into the perfectionist strategy space. But if we allow ourselves to just receive some deep breathing, yes, we're going to feel a little bit more. We're going to drop into the body. And also we're going to start to calm down the nervous system. So those are more practical tools. I am just still like, holy cow, you warm up for 45 minutes. I I would be just like, how now, brown cow, like Ron Burgundy, (laughs) call it a day. (laughs) I love the warm up. I love it. I can't do it now. I'm like, even if I'm only on stage, I did a show, not a show. I did a five minute, literally poet poetry thing a couple weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be backstage. I'm the girl that's going to warm up as if I'm on stage for an hour. I need it. I I trained myself to love it. Okay. I want to ask you about the archetypes that you talk about that. I think that, that, that not only show up in healing and and being an artist, but just as a woman. And you talk specifically about the good girl archetype and the, what you call the sacred prostitute archetype. So I'm just going to give you the floor Mm. and, (laughs) and tell us about that. Yeah. Well, the good girl. So you probably remember, I used to work with Regina Garrity around mm-hmm. this. We had a whole good girl boot camp. Um, so we came up with archetypes around the good girl because we were both such good girls and we had such personal experience with it. We were like, let's break this down. I think a lot sort of, of my people listening can probably really resonate with the good girl archetype. Oh, yeah. So we, <laughs> we deconstructed that a little bit and we came up with these sort of sub archetypes that would help us uh, name 
what energy we're in at a certain point. So I'll just go through some of these. We have the judge who as who sees the world as either or, either good or bad, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So there's really no room for nuance or paradox. And that judge is really hard, not only on others, but on herself. And it's really great. I use this also in my artist circles. I can see when someone's being in their judge and just having them name that like, oh, I'm in my judge right now. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, okay, that's what's happening for me right now. I'm really judging my performance. Um, just to name that can be really helpful. So there's the judge. I'll go through these quickly. There's the guilty daughter. That's someone who's really living their life for others, who always wants approval, always wants to people please. There is the scared child, which I mentioned earlier. That's that energy that we get into where it's like, fight or flight. We want to cower. We want to be in the corner. We don't want to use our voice. We don't want to stand up for ourselves. So yeah, scared child. And then there's of course the perfectionist, which I don't know anything about that. Do you? No, I don't. I don't think any of my listeners do too. So you can just skip it. (laughs) Yeah, let's skip that one. So yeah, these four archetypes just, I think are important. The sub archetypes to be able to speak them out loud and kind of gauge where you're at as you're especially, and again, I use this for when someone is using their art or using their voice and being visible, it's so easy to like go perform something like you doing your poem and then perhaps go into the judge or the perfectionist, or again, before maybe using your voice to go into the scared child and just to know when you're in the archetypes and take a little deep breath. Oh, I'm in scared child right now. Okay. I'm in contraction mode. What can I do to get out of it? Take a deep breath. Um, uncross my arms, uncross my legs, do the Wonder Woman pose, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you just do that for five seconds and you feel a little zing. So those are those archetypes. And then I know you mentioned the sacred prostitute. Do you want me to? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I've heard you talk about this before, so I'm curious. Yeah, well, when I was doing my my show, actually even before that, I was like the spiritual stripper. Okay, <laughs> like, you mean like as like the character in your show or in real life, you were the spiritual no, stripper? No, actually in real life, okay. I would be the stripper that was flying to Vegas because that's where I used to dance. And I would be reading Carolyn Bass or Brené Brown on the airplane, mm-hmm. you know, just like trying to get as much food and nourishment for my soul as possible. Before I'll bet I there's a lot the- of strippers who read self-help. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Strippers are, I, you know, I was just saying this, I give it up to strippers, man. They are incredible. I could go on a whole riff on that. But anyway, so the, I started to really get into Carolyn Mace. She was one of my mm-hmm. spiritual teachers. And that's when I started to learn about the prostitute archetype. And there's, there's the sacred prostitute. And then there's just the prostitute archetype, which is, The prostitute archetype is when you're selling a piece of your soul in exchange for some kind of security. And I think Mm. most of us have been there. And I particularly at that time was dancing. And so I was like, oh, I'm really in it. And and I'm actually using sort of sexual energy to to be in that archetype. I didn't love what I was doing. Some women do. I Mm -hmm. did not. So I felt like I was selling a piece of my soul for security. But you can be in a job you don't love. You can be in a marriage or relationship. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, the sacred prostitute. So this is where it gets interesting for me because I started to explore the, the origin of the word prostitute. And so there's the Hebrew word zona. It means both prostitute and prophetess, prophet. The Spanish word puta, aka whore, is derived from the Latin word grave, which is literally a hole in the earth, which refers to the darkness and the void, that time before rebirth. Um, there's, I, I was really fascinated about 
the split that came up with the word prostitute, where before it was, mm, it could be referred to as a priestess. And now it's more referred to as something where we feel like it is a dirty thing where we're giving sex, sex in exchange for money. But the, the history of the word tells us something different, that there is also something holy and sacred about this word, about sex. Uh, and so I started to think about just how, how much we demonize sexuality. And of course, a lot of women have shared when we get into these juicy conversations about sex, oh, I've had an ecstatic experience or my orgasm. I felt like the, 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 you know, the times of the angels or whatever, or I felt like this creative inspiration or I felt free, or of course we can use sex to make a baby. So there's also this creative nature to, to the word. And so there's a sacredness to sexuality that I found that we just don't really honor in this culture. And I, I just thought that was fascinating. I, I love that. So there's a sacredness to being in your prostitute, to being in your sexual energy. I guess I could talk about that for a long time. (laughs) Well, it's all fascinating. And I think that it could go in several different directions. I mean, just one that's, that's been prevalent. Well, I just been learning a lot about it in terms of, of feminism. And I feel like it's, it's come, maybe I'm just noticing it more, but it's come more to the forefront of even the, even, you know, like mainstream media is, you know, the protection of sex workers. And I am someone who formerly used to, like you were saying, very dichotomous, things are bad and things are good. And people who take off their clothes for money are bad. People who sell sex for money are even worse. You know, and now I'm like, oh, open my mind to actually listening to these people's stories and, and, and just the industry in and of itself. It's, it's so fascinating. We've just, we've dehumanized those people, I think is, Mm -hmm. is what we've done. And, and maybe we've done it because it's easier for us to, to do that because it's such a taboo. I think sex still is such a taboo topic in our culture, but it's just been really interesting to me. And, um, and, and thinking about it and, and changing my own mind. And yeah, anyway, I think that's a totally different conversation, but it's really fascinating the work that you've done in that. And I will link up as well to, to Caroline Miss and, um, and is it Miss or Mace? I, I never call it, know Miss. I've always called it Miss, but I okay. don't quote me. <laughs> It's M-Y-S-S. <laughs> yes. I, I think I actually went onto YouTube once and was like, how do you pronounce her last name? Can you? Sometimes I just Google that. How do you pronounce? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ask Google anything. But okay. I, I love this conversation. And again, it could go in so many different directions, but I think the last thing that I want to, I want to ask you, and I haven't asked a guest this in a, in a long time. And I, I think I'm going to kind of tweak the question a little bit and ask you what surprises you in the work that you do, your own personal work in, in healing through artistry, as well as what surprises you about the work you do with women. So two, two, two part question. Mm-hmm. I think with the women's work where a lot of my a lot of a lot of the work was telling stories to heal how much sex came up in when I would ask, what story do you want to tell? What story do you deeply want to tell? What story do you need to heal? How many times sexuality came up, whether it was feeling shame around sexuality or being assaulted around their sex in some way. And also equally how much spirituality came up. It was like sex and spirit were the Mm -hmm. two themes that would come up over and over again. And many times connected in one story. Uh, So that, that was surprising. 
And for myself, what was surprising about my healing work for myself? I just think how many layers are, are there around shame and thinking that I've gotten through and I have, I've worked through a lot of stuff and then finding another little piece that I can, can work with. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting to keep finding and peeling away the layers and how much they come up. And I just want to be, I, I posted this on my Instagram a, a while ago. I want to be shameless. I'm feeling shameless. I think that again is such a dirty word for some reason. People, mm-hmm. Whenever I say that people have, I don't know, things come up for them, but I do. I want to claim shameless in every way. And it's still there. So I work through it. I find that so interesting. And I, here's, here's my opinion on that. And of course, take it with a grain of salt, Miss Christina, that I, cause you know, this is the specific work I do and, and I don't, I'm far from mastery in this, but I, and this, this brings me comfort in that I feel like it is a huge win to feel triggered by something and feel that wash of shame and be able to move through it so mm. quickly. I mean, for lack of a better term, like a motherfucking boss, because yes, mm-hmm. it's like, and it's the same with it. To me, it's very similar to fear. I don't believe that anyone becomes fearless, like absence of fear. I do think it's totally. similar. And if Brene Brown would ever agree to come on my podcast, <laughs> she won't because, because I'm a daring way for facilitator. So frustrating. Anyway, I would ask her that, like, do you think that we can become shame less? Like, the absence of shame. I'm a believer that it's, it's part of the human experience. It's just like one of our emotions. It's like happy and joy and disappointment and frustration and all of them. Oh, boom, bam. You just dropped a gem for me. Like literally I'm like, Oh, you, you want to know why? Because you mentioned fear and I'm so with you. I don't believe in becoming fearless at all. I Mm -hmm. believe in facing fear and being with the fear and dancing with the fear. So why can't I do that with shame? Oh, so good. Andrea. Yes. Yeah. What if it's the same? And I think that, I mean, a huge, huge shift in my own work is, and this is the, this is the private work I do everyone with women is teaching you finding out what your triggers are. And it's, and we all have them in different areas of our life. We have them in our intimate relationships. We have them in our friendships. We have them at work. We have them in parenting with our bodies and appearance, especially for women, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And when you don't know what your triggers are, you end up being in shame and you end up staying there. And we also end up doing behaviors that we don't, that's the birth of perfectionism. That is the birth of people pleasing, of isolating mm-hmm. and hiding out, of numbing out. So when you know what your triggers are quickly, I'm, I'm telling you guys, you'll be sitting there like at a meeting at work or, you know, somewhere and something will happen and somebody will say something shitty or somebody will press a button and, you know, even unknowingly. And you're like, motherfucker, I'm in it. but that's huge because you can do things (laughs) i'll just tell you what they are it's self-compassion and empathy you know telling your story to someone who's earned the right to hear it and you can Mm -hmm. move through it so fast so good yes 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 and i love what you just said about sharing your story with a right for some that someone else has to hear it that's really important not i don't think all shame experiences need that. I think that there's a spectrum of, of shame experiences. I think, you know, the big ones are, are the ones that we, that are helped the most when we share it with someone that is sacred to us. But 
I think self-compassion is huge. I mean, that is, I'm, and I don't use this term lightly, but that has changed my life. And I, mm-hmm. I told a story in my book about being in a meeting with my son. We had just moved to North Carolina. It was a brand new elementary school. And I had to meet with the, um, he's on the spectrum and I had to meet with the special ed coordinator, the school principal and his first grade teacher. I just met these women and they got his records from the previous school and we're sitting in this meeting. I, you know, I don't know anyone there. And these were nice women. You know, of course I'm thinking like, maybe these could be my friends because I had no friends there. And they start reading his his health history. You know, Colton was diagnosed with blah, blah, blah. And his, he lives with his, his mother, his sister, and his father. His mother has a history of alcohol abuse. And I'm like, oh, holy mm. shit, what just happened? And oh. you know, I felt that wash of shame, like being in this room with these people and felt that immediate need to defend myself, to interrupt them and explain my story and do all these things to try to climb out of this hole of shame. Mm-hmm. And I knew I was only spent maybe like five or so seconds in that place of like, holy, holy shit, please let the floor open up so I can crawl in it and go away forever. <laughs> right. And yeah. um, I knew I was in it and I was like, okay just breathe and get through it. And I, because I could have never shown my face there again and just like drop my kid off every morning and like not ever talk to anybody. I could have like brought them cookies every week, you know, like donuts, <laughs> please like me. <laughs> I'm really not an alcoholic anymore. But you know, it's like we do all these things that kind of aren't in alignment mm-hmm. with who we are. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's just about knowing. And I love the self-compassion piece and self-love because that's so difficult, right? Like I, I Mm -hmm. I know that place where I just go down the rabbit hole of why, why, why you're shitty. This is a mother. And of course we catch ourselves sooner. Now we're doing the work and it's still like a practice where I have to like, stop, breathe. Like you said, breathe, no sweet thing. You're fine. You're okay. You're safe. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I tell myself that one a lot. I'm doing the best I can. Yes. Sometimes I tell myself I'm doing the most I can because oh, great. sometimes it's not yeah. really my best. <laughs> and I know it, but I'm doing the I'm most. I'm doing the mostest right now. <laughs> Let's just make it a joke every time we feel shameful. Like I'm doing the mostest, you know, but I'm doing my most. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, my dear. Thank you so much for being on and sharing your wisdom. I just adore Aww. you. Guys, love you so much and Aww. just so grateful. and for the work you're doing and the, and the art you're now expressing. It's so fun to see you. And I owe a lot of that, that to you. And I, everybody needs to oh. follow Christina on social media, especially on Instagram. It's so inspirational. And all of the links are in the show notes, christinadunbar.com. And I encourage everyone to even go watch your YouTube clips. So, so, so great. And as always, I have so much gratitude for those of you listening. I know that your time is sacred and precious. So thank you so much for being here every week. And Christina, any last minute things that you want to say before we say goodbye? Freak your truth, baby. Freak your truth. Freak your truth. I'm just going (laughs) to let that be our closing statement here, everybody. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 